Good evening. Open with me, if you will, your copy of the scriptures to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm going to start reading in verse 23, 23 to 26. 1 Corinthians 11, 23 to 26. Hear the word of the Lord. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is the word of the Lord. What does it mean to take the Lord's Supper in remembrance of him, in remembrance of Jesus? Why do we need this little ritual to remember our Lord? Well, why would you command anybody to remember anything? Because they're people that have a tendency to forget, and that's what we are. We're people that have a tendency to forget. It's easy to forget what's important. You know, the hard thing about life is that it's just every day. Every day you're going to get up tomorrow and it's still going to be life. You're going to get up the next day and you're going to have to do it again and again and again. And just the mundaneness of life sometimes can start to just wear down on you and make you forget that you are part of a grand redemptive drama that has been being told since, since before there was a world to redeem. And Jesus wants us to remember. The Lord's Supper is a chance to remember the great drama of redemption of which you are all called to be a part. So when Jesus wanted to explain the role of his coming death in that grand story, on the last night before he died, he didn't have his disciples sit down for an extended theological seminar. He didn't talk to them in a parable. He sat them down. He didn't give them a sermon. He sat them down and gave them a meal. And it wasn't just any old meal. This meal that they had sat down to have together Jesus is taking up an ancient tradition. He's taking up this meal that has been part of the life of the Jewish people for 1,500 years. And he's doing something startling with it. He's taking up this meal that his disciples would have known by heart. And he's saying, I'm going to transform the meaning of this meal. Nothing is ever going to be the same after this night. So... The Passover meal that they had that night had a set order of service. They did a set number of things. They, I don't have time to unfold to you all tonight all the different deep meanings of all the different things that they ate and drank and did in the service. But we're going to focus on two things tonight that matter for what it means for us to remember Christ in this meal. We're going to focus on the bread 
and the wine, the bread and the cup. So the Passover meal was structured, it was a liturgical meal structured around four cups of wine. There were four cups of wine and each one was linked to a promise that God had made to his people in Exodus 6, 6 and 7. There were four promises there, four cups of wine. They were, uh, each one, as you drank each cup, you would give an opportunity to explain what the cup meant, its significance for the people, and its significance for the people at the table. And there would be a host, usually the father, who would stand up and do this liturgical part of the meal. The first cup is called the cup of sanctification, or the cup of holiness. And drinking it, God's people were to remember that Yahweh had promised in Exodus 6, verse 6, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Yahweh intended to free his people, Israel, from their burdens, to bring them out of their slavery, that they could become a treasured possession from among all the people on the, on the earth. He had picked this very small group of people and said, I'm going to make you my precious treasure. They're going to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Set apart from all other nations. That's what that cup means. The second cup was the cup of judgment. Drinking it, God's people were to remember that Yahweh had promised, I will deliver you from slavery to the Egyptians through great acts of judgment. Now, Yahweh had struck, the Lord had struck Israel, struck, struck Egypt with nine plagues. These great acts of judgment, each plague only served to do what? To harden the heart of Pharaoh more and more until God was going to get glory over him by bringing him out to chase them. And Pharaoh, but Pharaoh refused to let God's people go. So Yahweh had to up the ante. And he brings a tenth and climactic plague. Says this in Exodus 11. This is the Lord speaking. About midnight, I will go out in the midst of Egypt. And every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill. Later, the prophets would call this kind of day of judgment where Yahweh comes up and visits in judgment the day of the Lord. The great and terrible day. Of the Lord. It's the day of ultimate and uncompromising judgment against sin. And when when every wrong that was ever done would be punished, it's a day of vengeance of the Lord to avenge himself on his foes. It comes cruel with wrath and fierce anger to make the earth a desolation and destroy sinners from on it. It is a terrifying thing. The Lord says, On that day, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. And what he's saying is, instead of this day of the Lord coming at the end of time like it was supposed to, he says, it's going to come somewhere around midnight tonight. Now, that is good news if it's just coming for the Egyptians, right? It's good news if it's just, if, if, if the Egyptians are the only sinners here, but are they? This day of judgment, this day of justice of the Lord is coming in a miniature scale and no one will escape. 
So that's the second cup. That's the cup of judgment. But between the second and the third cup, after this cup, the host would take a piece of bread and he would break it. And he would say, this is the bread of our affliction that our fathers ate when they were in slavery, when they were escaping from slavery, going into the wilderness, when they came out of the land of Egypt. And it was broken up in little pieces and everybody got a piece because you were supposed to be acknowledging your role in bringing the affliction on the world. That you are, that you're guilty, that you're a guilty sinner. That you have a role to play in this affliction. So then he would take up the third cup and drinking it, God's people were supposed to remember that Yahweh promised, I will redeem you. With an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. You see, the plagues, they weren't just judgment for judgment's sake. They served a purpose. Their purpose was to redeem. I'm going to pay the cost. The judgment was a means to an end. This day of the Lord, it presented a problem for the Israelites. Their redemption would cost them the lives of their firstborn sons. And the the life of your firstborn son, that doesn't make much sense to us, right? That doesn't... Yes, that's terrible. But in the ancient world, the life of your firstborn son was all your future hopes, all your dreams, everything was in that son. And so the Lord is saying, it's going to cost you everything to set you free. Everything. It's going to cost you your past. It's going to cost you your present. It's going to cost you your future. The wages of sin is death, and Yahweh was coming to deliver the check. But he sees to it. He provides a way of escape that doesn't compromise his justice. Every Israelite family was to slay a blameless lamb, was to eat the lamb in the house that night, paint the doorpost with the blood, so that when the Lord came, death would see that death had already fallen on that house and pass over. That's where the name comes from, to pass over. The Lord would pay for his people. He would redeem his people through an innocent, blameless sacrifice. Then there's the fourth cup. And this fourth cup is called the cup of praise. Because they've been redeemed. We've come out. The story has had its climax. The Lord has delivered his people. And they praise the Lord. And drinking it, God's people are supposed to remember that Yahweh promised, Exodus 6, 7, I will take you to be my people. And I will be your God. And you shall know that I, the Lord, Yahweh, I am your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Now, the other cups, from the perspective of Jesus' disciples, the other cups all look backwards, right? They look back to what God has done. He's redeemed us. He took the judgment. Uh, he brought judgment on our, on our adversaries. He set us apart as a holy people. But the cup of praise is a little bit different. It's got this forward-leaning tilt. Why? Can a lamb pay for a son? Can a lamb pay for a son? If you had the choice between your firstborn son and a lamb, what do you choose? Do you think the Israelites were dumb? Do you think they didn't know that? They knew that the value was not an equal value exchange. They knew that there had to be some greater redemption, something that was coming that would overshadow and somehow mysteriously 
pay for their sins without compromising God's justice so that he could forgive them and bear their sins. So praising God for what he had done, they also looked forward joyfully joyfully to the hope of the day that somehow God would actually redeem them from their fuller slavery, not just the slavery in Egypt. Now the Passover meal was never to be missed by any Israelite. Moses commanded that if you miss the Passover, you're out. You miss the Passover. Now he did make you, you. You got a chance at a makeup Passover if you needed to. If you if you needed to get out of town, he even says like if it's a work trip or whatever, you miss the Passover. We'll have a makeup Passover. He's gracious, but he says, look, if you start skipping the Passover, you're declaring that you're not my people, and you're not going to have a part in my people. So this meal was the, 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 one of the central parts of Jewish life. And Moses commanded, he forbid that it ever be changed. This is what you do. So Jesus, when he gets alone with his disciples on the night that he was betrayed, does something audacious. Does something insane. Crazy. Unless he's greater than Moses. He changes the meaning of the elements of the Passover. And he doesn't point to a lamb. You notice they don't ever talk about a lamb at the actual table. He doesn't point to a lamb. He points to himself. He says, all these things that we are talking about tonight, they're fulfilled in me. Think about the cup of sanctification, the cup of holiness. In the garden, after this dinner, they go to the garden of Gethsemane, where they regularly went to go, and he prayed. He was praying to his father, and this is what he prayed. For their sake, I sanctify myself. I set myself apart as holy, so that they may be truly sanctified. John 17. So now, those who are set apart in Christ... Peter, later, can say of them, you, you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. That's you, Jew, Gentile, whatever. That's you in Christ. Because he set you apart by setting himself apart to death. Second, Jesus takes the cup of judgment. James and John, earlier in his ministry, had come up to Jesus. Well, actually, they had their mommy come up to Jesus, which is just a real power move. You know, just, you know, if you're ever looking to get promoted at work, uh, send your mommy in to ask for a promotion or a raise. That's the way to do it. That's the way James and John did it. They go to Jesus and they, and, and she, and she says, can my sons, can they sit on your left and your right when you come into your kingdom? And he asks them, can you drink the cup that I have to drink? Now, of course, they think, oh, the only cup that the Messiah is ever going to have to drink is the cup of joy and blessing and praise. Yeah, buddy, we can drink it. Pour it on. But Jesus says, listen, you're going to drink the cup. You're going to suffer for my name. But, but listen to me. The 
cup of God's wrath is a biblical metaphor for God handing his people over to the consequences of their sin and their rebellion against God. Over to their enemies and their insistence on rebelling against him. And it's saying this rebellion, this sin is equivalent to drinking poison. Psalm 75, 8 says, For in Yahweh's hand there is a cup with foaming wine. Well mixed and he pours out from it and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. Jesus says, yeah, you're going to have to suffer for my name. But I'm going to drink the cup of judgment down to the dregs. I'm going to take every last drop. Then he breaks the bread. And this is really fascinating. He, this, he, said, he doesn't say this is the bread of our affliction. He breaks it and he says, this is my body, which is for you. Do you you get what he's saying there? He's saying, this is no longer the bread of your affliction. This is the bread of my affliction. And the bread isn't broken to symbolize that you share it. This bread is broken for you. I am going to suffer for you in your place. He's saying, I am taking the bread of affliction. I am being broken so that you can be made whole. That's what my death is about. Then he drinks, he takes up the cup of redemption. And this is the cup that most commentators all agree. This is the cup where he says, this is the new covenant in my blood. In Jesus, Yahweh himself has come to pay the price to free his people from their slavery with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. But it's it's shocking how he did it. He did not do it by bringing judgment on God's enemies. He did not judge Rome. His outstretched arms were stretched out on the cross. His mighty hands were pinned down and he wasn't able to lift them. And that's how he redeemed his people he did not come to judge but to bear the judgment for you for me there was darkness at noonday and he bore the judgment and he became the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world so that if we hide if we shelter under his blood we never have to fear death it will pass right over us now I was a firefighter in South Carolina before I came here, and there was, I went to a fire school, and they trained us in wildland firefighting. In wildland firefighting, you get this giant wall of fire, this wave of flame that's burning up the countryside, and it's being driven by the wind, and they tell you when you're out there, watch for places where, that are already burned out. Because the same wind that's driving the fire will send embers ahead. And it'll burn up and consume all that's in all everything in little spots ahead of it. And if you know where those spots are, if the wind changes and the fire of judgment starts to roll down the mountain after you, you need to know where that burned out spot is. Because if you can get there, there's nothing left to be consumed. And so the fire of judgment will pass right over you. It's the only way to survive. That's the meaning of the blood on the doorpost. That's the meaning of Christ. Christ is the burned out spot. Now, to wrap up, 
This meal is also a mission. The, the, the cup of praise looks forward to Jesus' coming. At the, in verse 26, Paul says, uh, do this, proclaim, that doing this proclaims Christ's death until he comes. The Passover liturgy, but this, this proclamation, this mission that we have uh, to really be under Christ's blood and in that burned out spot, we have, to, we have to sit down at the table. The Passover liturgy says that every Israelite of every generation must regard himself as if he himself had come out of Egypt. And during the meal, one of the children at the table was supposed to ask, what does this all mean, Dad? What's this all about? And the dad was supposed to respond, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. And Yahweh heard our voice and saw our affliction and our toil. As it is written, Yahweh heard their cry and saw their affliction and their toil. And Yahweh, our God, brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. So when you eat this bread and drink this wine, drink this juice, drink this fruit of the vine in remembrance of Jesus, then you are identifying yourself as a beneficiary of his death. You're pulling up your seat at the table. You know, in, in Matthew's gospel, uh, Jesus doesn't actually drink the fourth cup. He says, I won't drink this one until we drink it new in the kingdom. So the meal never closed. So in a way, every time we take the Passover meal, every time that we take the Lord's Supper, we are in a, in a real way sort of participating in that same meal. And he's waiting. He's waiting at the head of the table. He's waiting for the wedding feast of the Lamb with that cup of praise held high saying, come, there's a seat at the table for you. Come and drink. And he's not going to come. He's not going to return until everybody gets here. We're not going to drink it until everybody gets here, brothers. We're going to wait till the whole, everyone I've redeemed, everyone that I died for comes in, and then we're going to drink the cup of praise. And so to participate in that, to take your seat, doesn't just mean to view Christ's death as a historical fact and to remember it. It means like Paul to be able to say, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live for the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Come, eat. Let's do this in remembrance of him. Father, I thank you for your word. I ask that you would give us the gift of your uh, of this meal. Help us to rejoice in the fact that uh, you have invited us to your table. Bless this meal uh, to strengthen us for the continuation of our journey to inviting people to come to the table of that great wedding feast of the Lamb that's been prepared for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for taking the judgment and being and giving us the blood that we could hide from and, and escape the judgment of death. I pray these things in your name. Amen.